sign who's just a white. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined by Daryl Hoy. Thank you for talking with all of us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to be talking with you, uh, particularly about the idea and the practice of community engagement today. And I think I'd like to just kick it off and tell me, why do you care about engaging our uh, communities? I think it's um, what the gospel is all about, God with us. And uh, our uh, responsibility to the community is not just to to feed people or to, um, you know, uh, tell them um, to come to an evangelistic meeting. Uh, we're really meant to be with the people as God is with us. And so his model uh, is, is what we practice. Um, I love that you're using that term God with us. It's incarnational, which is the, the mystery of how we're both um, connected to the divine and Jesus was fully human, fully divine, which is, I think what you're getting at here with this idea of being in the community. I think the old model is keeping separate from the world. And so many Adventist churches barely know the people, um, across the street, much less are involved in any kind of service towards them. When you're thinking about churches that are doing community engagement the right way, the incarnational way, God with us, uh, what sort of things uh, stand out to you? Uh, when we always quote the ministry of healing, uh, you know, Christ's method alone. And I like to break it down to this. Christ sympathized. Well, first he socialized, then he sympathized. Uh, he served, he secured trust, and then he said, you know, I'll, I'll save you. And for us, uh, I think uh, we are part of a community. Uh, we're part of multiple communities. And so we don't need to just isolate to Sabbath and to church. God really wants us to be among the people. And so we socialize with people. And as we socialize with people, we hear their stories and we sympathize and, and then we find ways to serve them uh, and we secure their trust. They want to know about our Jesus. And we say, you know, well, come and follow Jesus along with me uh, for salvation. And I think it's an ongoing process. Um, I don't think it's something we, we do and then we quit, you know, <laughs> once we get people in the baptismal pool, uh, it's, it's an ongoing process. And I think it's a beautiful process because um, not only are we blessing others, they're blessing us. We grow in Christ as we go out and serve others. You know, when I think about what you just said, I think about the way that um, this is different than evangelism. Uh, I should say maybe traditional evangelism in that um, we're not just kind of presenting our ideas to people and hoping that they kind of get the good news. We're, it's sharing the good news in a really practical way. And are there some kind of 
things you've seen with churches, uh, kind of specific um, services, uh, advocacy uh, that you think are uh, particularly good examples of how to engage communities beyond kind of just mailing them things and hoping they show up at the door? Sure. Um, I can remember my very first church. Uh, we had a school, elementary school right around the corner. And uh, me and a couple of members, new pastor, just wanted to get the lay of the land. Uh, we stopped by the school. We meet the principal. And he knows the community. Uh, he knows my members. He's taught their children. And uh, we have a conversation. And I make an appointment. And I come back. And he sits there and tells me all about my church. He, he knows my church better than I knew my church. And uh, he says, so here's what your church can do. He's like, I need alarm clocks. He says, I have kids who are getting their younger brothers and sisters up for school, uh, either because their parents are already at work or their parents are addicts, uh, you know, uh, and they need alarm clocks. And so I go back to my church and I say, hey, we got a wonderful way that we can get to know our community and serve our community. Let's get our alarm clocks. And so we get those alarm clocks and we take them back over. And he goes, I never expected to see you again. <laughs> and, and that was a shock to me that he never expected to see us again. And then he says, well, you know what? A school really doesn't have or a tornado shelter and we're in Topeka, Kansas. And he says, can I have the key to your church? <laughs> uh, so that if necessarily, Sari, we can get the kids to someplace safe that your church basement. And um, I said, yes. And I went and talked to my church and they were like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> we were willing to go so far, but not all the way. And um, I think as, as churches that are really part of the community, uh, we care about what's going on and we move past our comfort zones. And so the churches that I see doing community engagement the best move past what's tradition, move past what's the comfort zone, and they go out in uncharted territory. They do innovative ministry and they do what others aren't doing. So my motto is in order to win the people no one is winning, we have to do the ministry nobody else is doing. And more often than not, that's compassion ministry. That's true compassion ministry. Mm, I like that. To win the people no one else is winning, we have to do what no, no one else is doing to kind of paraphrase what you're saying there. And that really takes, um, I think, courage, the kind of courage that we um, talk about, I think, in church, you know, be more like Jesus takes uh, a certain confidence that what we have to share is is real to us. And I think it's community engagement is a good test for individuals and for congregations to really say, do we actually believe this? If we do, and we think that God is on our side, then maybe we don't have as much to fear as we think we do about mm -hmm. getting out there. I think there, you know, in, in where I live here in uh, Northern California in Sacramento, um, I was uh, part of some meetings that were happening at the Capital City Church, a uh, great kind of pastoral uh, team there at the time. And, you know, our community was um, really wrestling with um, some 
examples of police brutality. And so I was joining with the church that was hosting um, police and community members as they were sort of trying to understand um, each other better. And um, so I thought it was a really good example of community engagement um, that went to a little bit of a, a healing level or an attempt to, to create um, a space for advocacy. That can sometimes be a little scary for churches. You know, it, perhaps a church can help um, someone by giving food to them. But thinking about structural change, uh, can it takes a very courageous church to do that sort of thing. Um, uh, are there some ways that you think churches can um, kind of grow to have a larger public witness? You know, Jesus, of course, didn't just help individuals. He overturned the tables in unjust um, uh, parts of the uh, civic and religious order. Uh, what what uh, inspires you out there as examples of, of community engagement at a kind of structural level? Yeah, I think as we um, as we study God's word, and we study what God means by justice and what he means by loving our neighbor, it goes beyond a food pantry. It really goes to asking the question, why are people hungry? Why do they have to come to my church to get food, especially if they're working, they're working multiple jobs and, and they're doing the things that we tell them they should do and be able to stand on their own two feet. So we have to start asking those questions. And so, you know, um, the Capital City Church, Pastor Damian Chandler, they mm -hmm. uh, do excellent uh, that ministry that's uh, social justice or for me, playing justice ministry. Uh, Dr. Jamie Calazar down at Dallas City Temple, uh, they have done everything from um, advocating for uh, immigrants to, uh, you know, uh, challenging uh, the system about denying bail to people. Uh, I think you interviewed uh, Dr. Ron Williams at the Macedonia Church in Chester, Pennsylvania, where he's not only banning, uh, not only mo motivating the Adventist church, but churches across denominations uh, there to do ministry uh, to stem the tide of violence in the community. Um, you know, they're uh, so many people who are doing incredible work, um, both in the Adventist church and outside the Adventist church, I think that are good examples for us to pay attention to. Those are great examples. And I think those are um, uh, examples in addition to the reasons that you pointed out and you're kind of point, uh, kind of um, nudging our attention towards this, but it's a, it is um, a way of actually creating partnerships within the community and expanding um, a church's footprint. Uh, you know, uh, so many times people are like, oh, there's an, I didn't know your church existed in our community. And if you're out there, perhaps uh, marching in the street or encouraging people to vote, uh, it's a great way for folks to recognize that you care um, about the larger community and and as it's um, as it's going through its um, struggles for justice, it's uh, it's a great way of of um, of making friends uh, in the Christian community and beyond. I was talking to a pastor recently who said that the Catholic priest um, 
preached in his church and mentioned the Adventist church as the only other church near them that was doing something for the community. And actually some of those parishioners came over to the Adventist church and participated in one of their community engagement projects. I'm sure you're full of stories like that when you have pastors who are, are thinking beyond just the, the kind of traditional ideas of evangelism. I want to talk a little bit about you. You uh, do communications for uh, the regional um, conference ministries, and you are a pastor. You went to Duke University for a degree in public policy, so you know what you're talking about when we're talking about structural change and justice. And you also did your Master's of Divinity from Andrews Seminary. How did you decide to um, do what you do, and how did you end up where you ended up? Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a, a long story. Um, I grew up in post-civil rights Mississippi. Um, I grew up uh, a generation of uh, folks who were learning uh, across race lines how to get along, how to go to school together, how to live in the same communities. And uh, I think I was blessed with a great, um, great classmates that we were willing to struggle with the issues of race that um, our parents um, struggled with, our grandparents struggled with, but I think we were on a, a, a different level. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my family was Baptist. Um, and um, I got introduced to Adventism as a child. Um, my family is a family that believes in justice. My mom was a part of a civic club and she learned that from my grandmom, who was one of the first members of the uh, NAACP in her community at a great risk. Uh, so I, I kind of was born into it, I guess. Uh, and the more I learned about God, the more I realized that uh, God calls his people to live courageous lives every day of the week. And that means um, the standards that the world clings to, uh, those are things that barriers that we have to break down. Um, so uh, I just think throughout my life, um, I've um, had people surrounding me who were advocates for justice, who um, lived the faith uh, by saying, okay, this is wrong, this is unjust, so I make a difference. And I uh, went to college and I um, went to college on a scholarship for chemistry and oh. uh, worked in a science lab every um, year of, um, I guess, my junior, senior year in high school and also my freshman year in college. Um, uh, but that company was polluting my community. Um, so I had to make some choices. Do I finish my college degree, you know, with the scholarship, with the company that's polluting my community? Or what, what do I do? And I ended up changing majors to public policy. Uh, I was very interested in how do we go about making change and change in a way uh, that is effective. Um, I uh, got an internship with the Children's Defense Fund. Oh, uh, yeah, she's uh, great. 
um, Marion Wright Edelman, who was yeah. one of uh, the leaders in the civil rights movement uh, as a, a black female. Um, I got to sit at her feet and learn uh, some of the things that she struggled with. Um, and um, it was, um, you know, very um, affirming to be able to be with people my age and older and younger who were about justice. And um, as I um, worked with the Children's Defense Fund, I, I also worked with uh, ministers. Um, and I think probably since I was nine years old, I knew God was calling me to ministry, but I'd never seen a female pastor. And everyone told me females can't be pastors. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I, I think God wove all of those experiences together to give me a hunger and a thirst uh, for uh, doing justice and uh, being engaged with the community. Um, and, and so that's what, what I do now, even as uh, communications director, um, I am working with different churches to find ways that we can be a blessing to our community. We're partnering with the Red Cross uh, hosting blood drives because of the, the shortage of blood uh, during COVID, especially African-American and Hispanic blood. Uh, so we're doing these blood drives. So it's, I, I think no matter what job I do, uh, there's always some connection to the community because it's to me, the foundation. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really great, um, uh, kind of testimony, I'd say, even though you weren't, uh, it was very biographical, but it's beautiful to think of you going through and really um, shifting your focus as you became aware of the kind of larger issues at stake within our um, our system. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about um, Adventism because you're helping churches as they're engaging their community. And I'd love to get kind of your professional perspective on, um, you know, the what needs to change is probably the kind of question that I'm asking in the in the way that Adventists um, approach their community, the kind of mindset that we have. You've talked about we've talked about things that people can do. Uh, I think that there has to be and it's maybe strong language, but a sort of conversion. And by that, I mean a change. Uh, you know, there's per perhaps stages of conversion. So in this case, I think it's a way of really moving from, say, a personal understanding, okay, my sins are forgiven, to a level of conversion that says that there are um, national sins that we need to be dealing with. And I think racism is a, a great example of that. I think what we do to the earth uh, is another example of that kind of sin. The sort of things that uh, if we think of self, we think about, okay, is this benefiting me in some way? Well, yes, that's not bad, but we have to think about at what cost to our relationships. And so I'm wondering if you don't mind maybe preaching a little bit uh, here, uh, what um, do you see as the sort of conversion experience that Adventism maybe collectively needs to go through, uh, at least to understand a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus? Um, I was just listening to um, an installation for a pastor this 
a weekend and the minister said you cannot talk about Jesus without talking about justice and uh, that doesn't happen enough I think in our pulpits. Absolutely. And and I think it is um again part of our theology. We don't have a fundamental belief uh that says to do justice. Uh, we don't have a fundamental belief that says to um you know engage with the community. Uh, but we do know that um, Jesus is God with us. And if we go back to, to that premise, uh, that God actually came and, and dwelled with, with us and that he, through the Holy Spirit, continues to dwell with us. And when he comes again, he will dwell with us in, um, you know, perfect um, heaven, per perfection. And um, I think if we, we study together, if we grow together, if we move past, oh, you've been baptized and that's enough. Uh, if we continue to say, how can we be more like Jesus? Then it leads us uh, to uh, doing more, and not just as individuals, but as a church, it leads us to say, okay, this is who Christ was, and this is who we've got to be. Um, I think um, there are uh, lots of, of things our church is afraid to talk about, but if we really believe in present truth, if we really believe that we don't know everything, that we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, then it allows room for us to uh, peel back some of those layers uh, and say we can do better in this. Um, I am a strong advocate of evangelism, uh, but I think our method of evangelism is flawed. Not the message, but the method of evangelism is flawed. And I think that if we would truly be with the community, if we would truly socialize and sympathize, serve and secure trust and introduce people to the Savior, uh, we would have folks who, instead of coming in and leaving three months later, uh, folks who grow to be disciples of Christ and who share him with others. And, and that's my hope. My hope as I work um, with young people, I've been a youth director for the last eight years. Um, as I work with young people, um, as I mentor pastors, uh, as I get to serve on uh, the VersaCare Foundation board, um, my hope is that uh, we will rethink our method and uh, find innovative ways uh, to share the message. Hmm. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing in our Adventist community as well. I feel like you're kind of a minister to um, uh, us at a, at a large level. And um, I've really appreciated uh, the points that you've been making. Um, I am wondering, as we're kind of wrapping up here, if there's uh, something that gives you hope, especially in your work with young people, but also thinking about funding change within our um, organization and, of course, ministering beyond our denominational borders. Um, what out there are you noticing um, perhaps little 
little um it's springtime here so we can talk about um you know the green shoots coming from um plants that uh, let us know that that things are changing that that uh, time is marching on what are you noticing out there that gives you hope i think because we uh have methods of communication we've never had before um, and we are in community uh, not only in person but digitally um, and i think especially because our young people today are more diverse than they've ever been uh, they see more than we've ever seen uh, they are not um they don't let things like race uh and and other things that were hang-ups for us they're not hang-ups for them they yeah. see people as people and when we say to love people, they love people, um, no matter who they are. And that's challenging uh, for older generations. That's challenging to our what we see as our theology. Uh, but I am just so incredibly hopeful because young people uh, see the world differently and are courageous. And I thank everyone who went before me and I'm super excited for those who are going after me um, that they see the world differently and have the courage to make change. Mm, wow, I'm inspired by that. Thank you. I uh, love the idea of recognizing that we're here a moment in time. You know, we're living our small L life, but there's a larger uh, life with a that that is wrapped up in the, the movement of divine being. And uh, I, I um, am encouraged by the hope that you've shared. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Daryl Hoy, for talking with us today and um, really looking forward to the change that's coming in our community. Amen, thank you. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive.